Hey, Bayview family and friends, welcome back to Weekend Wednesdays, the podcast that brings the weekend worship into your midweek. My name is Min Su Kang, and I'm your host for this week's episode. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Weekend Wednesdays. This episode, we have our very own Pastor Sawyer Bullock uh, in studio today, and we're going to talk a lot about just the idea of spiritual warfare. I really wanted to sit down with him and just kind of get what his experience was and is around this particular topic. And so Sawyer's going to be sharing some of these stories. His interview is going to be a little bit of a two-parter, and so the first is just talking about his personal experiences And then our second episode, we're going to dive a little deeper on practicalities. What does it look like to wear the armor of God and how do we do that practically in our daily lives? Uh, So thank you so much for tuning in this week again, and I hope this episode blesses you. Well, in studio today, we have our very own Pastor Sawyer Bullock. Sawyer, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm very excited. So yeah, we wanted to sort of dive into today's episode going back to this idea of spiritual warfare Mm -hmm. and uh, our guests so far, we've just been allowing them to express and even recount moments in their life where they've encountered God through the events of a spiritual warfare kind of dynamic. Um, So yeah, I guess as a first question to you, has that been your case? Has that been something that has occurred in your life? Have you experienced spiritual warfare? Yeah, totally. At least in two different flavors. I'm sure there's we're going to get to heaven and be very surprised about things that we didn't catch that's going on, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah. One of the, in my opinion, like standard texts on this subject is C.S. Lewis, his screw tape letters. And I'm not going to summarize that. If you're not familiar with it, just check it out. It's a very short book. But he said that either Satan wants to deceive us into thinking there is no spiritual warfare or to have us so terrified thinking that there's devils and demons around every bush and right. tree. Yeah. And so perhaps in the West, just kind of with our our secular world that we live in, we're much more likely to attribute things to any other natural cause than supernatural cause. So that's caveat everything that I don't cover in the next two minutes. All Mm -hmm. right. So while I was in my early undergrad years, I was in a prayer room at a Christian university and there wasn't anything particular that I'm aware of on my mind that I was there praying for. I was just in there praying and I distinctly remember feeling a presence of something entered the room. And it's very strange. It's like how, you know, when someone's looking at you or something. And so I opened my eyes, I looked across the room, felt something there and thought, oh, am I having some kind of like divine encounter? What's going on? But I didn't feel comfortable at all. Felt a lot of tense anxiety in my chest. I was very nervous about it all, but I thought, okay, like, you know, this, this is happening. Just suck it up. And felt, this is all vague language, but this is just how I remember it. Felt to getting closer, still feeling very uncomfortable. And I remember hearing a voice in my head saying in the third person, get out, Sawyer, run, get out of there, get out of there right now. I just booked it out of that room. And I have no context for that. I don't know why that happened. I don't know what was the voice and what was the being. But that was my first dramatic memory of something like that happening. And then later on that same year, I was walking alongside someone who professed to follow Jesus and then renounced that and was experimenting with different types of drugs that was not conducive to their mental health and was sending them in all these manic episodes. And they were hanging out with friends that were into strange, new age-y, occulty circles and belief systems. I was still trying to walk with that person, be in their life. And as I started doing that, started getting very strange, dark dreams. My roommate at the time was Connor Sweetman. That's Pastor Hannah's husband. 
And I remember one of the dreams was, it was just black and I heard a little voice. It sounded like it was distant saying something, but I couldn't hear it. It was almost like a humming or a chanting. It was low, like a humming. And then I started hearing other voices also talking as well in the distance, getting louder and louder, more and more voices, getting closer and closer. And then something grabbed me and literally pulled me awake, like pulled me out of the dream. And that was uh, crazy. And still, there's so much that's unknown about it all. We don't really know what's happening in the thick of that. Started getting more and more dreams like that as I was trying to still intercede and, and witness to this person. And I was terrified to go to sleep. So I didn't know what was going to happen that night. And so I would just be laying in bed, just like reciting scripture. Psalm 91, those who dwell in the presence of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And just chanting that, repeating it until I fell asleep. And then I would still have another dream. Mm-hmm. So I called up a old lady from my church that I knew was a prayer warrior, the small farmhouse country church and I called her she's the kind of lady that the Lord would wake her up in the middle of the night and put something on her heart and she would intercede until it went away Mm -hmm. and and things would change so I I said to her this is what I'm doing this is what's happening what do I do and she said oh honey you just pray the blood of the lamb things like that there wasn't a dramatic moment where I said one thing and then it all went away but I guess learning how to actively pray into it was Mm -hmm. when those night terrors or whatever you would call them ceased in that way Question for you, just to rewind, even to some of your thoughts in the beginning, uh, you were mentioning how in North America, well, maybe not in North America, but the C.S. Lewis quote that you were saying, how mm-hmm. a lot of times we could either say, oh, there's no devil, there's nothing like that in our world today. And then, you know, the other point being like, it's easy to just think that everything is a demon. You know, your two stories there sound supernatural. Mm-hmm. And I think you even going through it, it didn't seem like a natural thing to experience. Mm -hmm. Was there any part of you that was tempted to associate that with, oh, that's just my mind making it up, or no, that's not a spiritual warfare dynamic. Was there anything like that for you during that time? I didn't have that thought personally. Uh, My fault is probably to the former, not the latter, Mm -hmm. that I, I don't see the spiritual significance in a lot of things that are happening. And that was extremely dramatic and disturbing and I wonder if the intent was to intimidate me and frighten me and it certainly was effective but that wasn't the final or ultimate cause because it caused me to pray more than I ever had in my life Mm -hmm. right I realized my weakness and dependence on God for protection in all of this yeah something I'm wondering is uh, in your two experiences you mentioned the first being this loud kind of presence you know telling you get out of a room and then you had these dreams of warning where spirits are like trying to like take you or I don't know, like trap you and kind of take you away in this whole idea of spiritual warfare, in your opinion, in your experience, what do you think was being battled there? What was trying to be captured? Or if you know, what do you think the point of those two things were? I'm still unsure to give a definite answer. Even the time when I was praying and I felt something enter the room, was that something from God or was that not? And the voice telling me to get out, was that protection or was that something trying to remove me? And I would say that in that room, I didn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. But anytime an angel shows up, he tells people, you can get up off the floor, don't be afraid. So I don't think I'm unique in that response either. And in the dreams, in that case, that was, I feel like I'm trying to rescue someone from the kingdom of darkness. Because I would go to hang out with this person it's another Christian friend of mine, and they said, oh, I'm going to sit back tonight. And I was telling them, you don't get it. Like, there's a battle for their soul right mm. now. We need to go have lunch with this dude. Right. So I'm preparing for the shield of faith right now. 
and says that we have the shield of faith above all put on the shield of faith kind of means over all put on the shield of faith to protect you from the fiery arrows of the enemy and that's the shield is what you would use when you were scaling the enemy wall that's when you were approaching it you wouldn't use it all the time it was the size of a door it was five feet high two and a half feet wide you would use it as you were scaling the enemy wall that's when they were the most desperate and you were the most vulnerable and so they would throw down spears arrows they would pour hot tar that's the word in that way so some commentators have said why is it that once you decide to get your life together everything seems to fall apart or Mm -hmm. once you decide to tackle some sin in your life or respond into a place where god has called you to to step out to stand out especially in the mission field why is it that all these things keep happening to me Mm -hmm. so i wonder if that was some kind of intimidation technique where Mm -hmm. you're trying to help this friend and I I was freaked out and intimidated I was afraid to sleep and if you can't sleep everything else in your life is thrown off it's so important yeah yeah in our previous conversation because we chatted a little bit before recording today you did mention that in Canada in your experiences with spiritual warfare these weren't isolated moments you did have experiences elsewhere you touch up on that a little bit the later experience that I had that I looked back on and realized, oh, that was spiritual warfare, and I didn't realize it, and I was just too thick-headed, was when I went to North Korea. I went twice, and it was just for a month at a time. Basically, I was in a like a teacher's college. It was like a teacher's university in North Korea. So there were teachers that would come in. They were already teachers, and we would do a month-long intensive with them, talking about, okay, how do you teach? What are better ways to structure a lesson, to get kids to be engaged how do you track engagement it was basically like a pedagogical seminar and so I was leading that and during that whole trip I'll explain why at first I didn't raise my suspicions at the start I would describe myself as a high functioning introvert I don't love being in big groups I find it draining it's not life-giving it's life-taking yet for some reason the Lord has gifted me in such a way that I make my living on stages in front of large groups (laughs) of people so he's he's funny that way anyways So I would always hate things like camps or conferences where you're with people (laughs) all day, like in the same room, going out to eat together, even like weddings, you know, where you're like setting up and you're in the wedding party. And the day after the wedding, everybody wants to go out for breakfast. Like, why would you do that to me? Anyways, so that's never happened to me. Oh, God bless you. It's (laughs) it's not a great way to live. Well, actually, I like it. It's all I've known. Besides the point. I don't want to be around people all day, all the time. And so I was part of this team of teachers in this country. And it's not a cakewalk. I'll summarize it like that. And I just found that my attitude was getting more and more critical and resentful and perhaps prickly. And this is a whole month. And Mm. we're eating every single meal together. We're going to and from the university together. You're in the classroom together. You did not have any time alone, except I guess when you closed your eyes. And so I found myself growing critical of certain aspects of how the course and the month was being run and the curriculum and leadership decisions. And I'm, for better or for worse, I think critical in that I'm good at picking out the elements of something, whether it's an argument on a piece of paper or you're watching a live presentation. Critical doesn't always mean bad. You can take courses on critical appreciation of poetry. That's how you recognize and appreciate elements of a piece of poetry, for example. So I think the Lord has given me an eye for that. And then I've also tried to develop that on its own, but it can also have a flip side to it where you can really pick Mm. things out and and cut down. And so it it sounds so trite to just say it like that. Hey, I was grumpy, but there were moments where I was actively 
like trying not to blow up on the person above me or the person beside me in terms of, uh, you know, just leadership on the team. And I would say that I successfully did not explode on anyone, but I used so much energy just fuming internally, which also isn't helpful because mm-hmm. I'm sure that that drags the team down in its own ways. And I certainly wasn't being uplifting to the team where you're in a difficult spiritual environment in North Korea. We can talk about that in and of itself. And I was spending so much energy that way, focusing on, okay, don't explode on anyone and just suck it up for a month and then get home. You can tell your wife all about it or something like that. Mm. So when I was home a few months later, I think I was listening to a sermon back home, seeing my parents and their pastor was preaching on something. And I realized how distracted I was by my anger and frustration and how it all melted away as soon as I left the country. As soon as I got home, I was cool with everyone. Sorry to see them leave and whatnot. Oh, it was a great time. Stay in touch. Looking back at all and realizing, oh, I wonder how much of that was stirred up and how much of that stewing and fuming and resentment was perhaps many of those things were brought to my mind in Mm -hmm. a spiritually destructive way and how distracted I was from things that God wanted me to do when I was there. So when I went back the second year, I was aware of my own heart and that own environment and just spirits of division and tension and suspicion. And maybe that's part of the country as a whole. I don't know. And I was aware of that and I was able to fight it better. Mm -hmm. and, And you could recognize it when it came back in some ways. And it's so sinister because it's a very self-serving kind of warfare and that it's it appeals to the pride and the ego and it's just hey look at all these things that are being done wrong i'm noticing them i could do this so much better right why am i being mistreated in this way because of this decision oh but we didn't mean for that to happen you say okay that's fine but consequences matter you can just rationalize all kinds of bitterness in that way so it sounds like your first time in north korea and your second time in North Korea were completely two different experiences. It seemed like your first, well, kind of reflecting back, you can correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but it sounds like in your first experience of North Korea, you became like your attitude changed in a way that you notice something was different. Mm-hmm. This, you know, we can be critical, we can be angry, but there are times where we look at that and say something different is at play here. And that's what it sounded like yep. uh, for your first experience. And so for your second, it sounded like you were more equipped something allowed you to be aware of what was happening spiritually. And so you went in there kind of, yeah, going back to our theme, maybe more with more armor. Mm -hmm. And so is there any sort of armor pieces or any sort of techniques that you did in order to sort of combat what you knew was your enemy now? Yeah, so that's that's 100% the readiness that comes from the shoes of peace. That's the etoimasia in the Greek, and it means both to be steady or sure-footed but also nimble and that you can respond to things and i think that the second year i was more equipped to respond to opportunities that the lord was bringing up and also how to serve the other people around me because i knew at least from the year before where some of my weaknesses were the lord had revealed that to me and in pitfalls and areas where satan would love to use me as an agent of distraction for the team and, Mm -hmm. and even to perhaps discourage other people I was able to recognize that when it came up in my own heart again. And there's no magic bullet for any of this, but to correlate it with a piece of armor, I would say, yes, it's the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace because I just wanted peace in my heart for the circumstances that I was in and how things were playing out, team and the curriculum and all things like that. That was just spending more time with the Lord than anything else Mm -hmm. and praying 
for my team, thanking God for my team. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, he says, hey, if if you've got some kind of frustration or anger with another believer, he said, you pray for them. You intercede on their behalf and watch your heart change towards them. Mm. You know that God is working on them just as much as he's working on you. And they've received his grace just as much as you have. So that was a large part of it. Thanking God for all the people around me, praying for them, repeating to myself, like as you're going out the door, like, I love my team. I love my team. Like saying it, you know, (laughs) smiling to make yourself feel happy, things like that. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think it got easier, but I was more equipped to step into it. It Mm. didn't go away the second year at all. Yeah. Yeah. I guess to wrap up this particular episode, I think one thing I was curious about is in your experience with spiritual warfare, you had one locally here in Canada Mm -hmm. where you're able to see, you know, things in the dream world, things even in the real world as well. And then you're able to experience something internationally in North Korea as well and and how just a, a spiritual climate of a place affects you as a person. Mm-hmm. And so now coming back from those two experiences, uh, how have those two, I guess, influenced how you approach this particular topic now? Has it made you more aware of spiritual warfare? Uh, are you more on guard? Um, yeah, so how have those two things affected you and how you approach this particular topic now? I think the joy of being in a new environment is there's a real sense of purpose and, I don't know, intention to it. I'm going here to share Jesus, Mm -hmm. all of who he is. And so there's a focus, there's a drive, and you come back to Canada, and there's no real risk to talking about Jesus here. There's no urgency. People aren't running around and outwardly explicitly saying, like, tell me about this God that you serve. It's hey, yeah, I, I, I know about Jesus. You know, I went to a Catholic school for a couple of years. It's just not for me. I don't hate him. I don't love him. Cool, man. God bless you. So I think it's much, much easier in the West to be lulled into a comfortable complacency. Mm. So that's the warfare here, I would say. It's that sweet siren song. And you think that there is no urgency. People know. And, you know, if they really want to talk about it, they'll come to me. There's no pressing need for things like that. And you go to other parts of the world and it ain't like that there. Yeah. There, there are people dying to know Jesus mm. and dying to share Jesus all around the place. And in Canada, in many ways, comfort kills. Mm. And we're being entertained to death. So there's so many more things competing for our focus and the focus of others. And so perhaps that's the challenge and the benefit of doing this all in community. Roman soldiers were in legions or the phalanx, and they had like their, sh- their shields protecting them on all sides. They looked like a little human turtle in mm. many ways. Yeah. And so perhaps uh, another element of Western spiritual warfare is our overly individualistic understanding of walking through life and mm-hmm. not how our communities form us and how we form them and the necessity of it. Mm-hmm. But we just think that we can be a healthy, happy, flourishing Christian staying in our apartment by ourselves six days a week and then just stepping out, going to church and ripping back mm-hmm. and not being in community, both to grow and to protect each other. Mm-hmm. So perhaps that's another element of it. I would love to dive a little bit deeper in that last statement you made, because I think it's so true. It's like we lull ourselves into this state of like complacency here mm-hmm. in the West. And I'm a victim of that. And it's so easy to just be like, meh, they'll come to me if they want Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Or you just give them a small little like snack size of Jesus and just like here, you know, like, and it's kind of safe to do that. Mm-hmm. But the word urgency is so poignant for you to use because it is true. I think we lack that here in the West. Love to dive deeper in that with you in our next episode. And also just like, how do we get out of that? Mm -hmm. What are some tactics that we can do to to make ourselves even uncomfortable? 
And then, you know, I want to dive deeper with you and just spiritual armor. What does that look like to put that on uh, every day? What are some ways that we can put that on and uh, fight this spiritual battle all around us? Yeah, looking um, forward to it. Yeah. Thanks, Sawyer, for being here. Thank you. Thank you.